Hello and welcome to another Tuesday afternoon edition of Bill Allen's Facebook Bible Studies. We're going through the F. Lagarde Smith, the Daily Bible in Chronological Order, and these, as you likely know, and I'm glad to be a part of this with you, and I hope that you are having a really good week. It is wonderful to see everybody and glad that uh, you're able to be here. I uh, know that in our Facebook studies, we are in the New Testament, hooray, hooray, and we are uh, finding ourselves in the gospel still and will for a, a while, and then we'll be going on throughout the rest of the New Testament, but for right now, we find ourselves in the midst of the teaching and miracles of in the life of Jesus Christ, and it's a wonderful blessing to be able to talk about this, to be able to share these wonderful stories, and to also be able to uh, chat a little bit with you. I'm sorry that there's not a lot of back and forth, but you can send me a little comment and I'll be glad to reply to that or at least put it a little heart on it or something like that. Glad to have you along. Uh, we have been reading in the last few days uh, a few parables of Jesus. Many of those are found in Matthew 13 and we're going to read Matthew 13 in just a few moments because it does have a lot of those parables and it gives us really good insight into how Jesus uses this wonderful teaching tool. Uh, but a few words, first of all, about the parables and about how, uh, how we should read them and how we should understand them. Uh, it's, a, it's a unique teaching tool. It's a wonderful example of, of stories that God uses. Um, and one person has said, if God never confuses you, never troubles you, and never disagrees with you, then you're not staring at transcendence. You're staring at a mirror. <laughs> I think that's a great, great quote from Matt Smethurst. And I do think that one of the places where we, we do sometimes get a little perplexed about what uh, God's message is, is when we read the parables. Um, I want us to share again a little bit about the parables and some helps maybe that will help us as we read them, because I think uh, there are some things that are very helpful for us to know kind of going in to that study. And then we'll read the ones that are found in Matthew 13. And of course, there are many other wonderful, wonderful parables. And we may mention a few of those today, although we uh, won't be reading them today, but a few of them are gonna pop up uh, in the days uh, ahead. Uh, so first, a little bit about parables. Uh, the traditional kind of popular definition of a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. I know that parables are not quite that simplistic; that they're a little bit more um, uh, they're they're a little bit more complicated than just that. But at the same time, there's a lot of truth to that. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so we'll talk a little bit about that, but one of the things that we say is that it is an earthly story. It's stories about things that are very common and understandable because they're about our day-to-day -day lives. Jesus takes examples from everyday living. And even though it's 2,000 miles and a half a globe uh, uh, away from us, I mean 2,000 century, 2,000 years, I'm gonna get this right, and a half a globe away from us, Still, they're very understandable, and it's not very difficult for us to uh, to put them in today's uh, understanding. 
a while back, a couple of years or so ago, I preached a series of sermons on the parables. And I used, um, at the beginning of the sermon, I would share a story that was uh, similar to what Jesus did, but was more applicable to our lives today. We're not very agricultural. Many of uh, folks are, but most are not in today's world. And certainly here in Tyler, Texas, we have a lot of folks that live on property and still raise cows or horses or, or plant gardens and uh, all of that. But a lot of folks uh, don't see that in their day-to-day -day life. So I, I tried to do that and put it in some more business savvy things in the 21st century. And uh, if you want to go back on our website, westerwin.com, that's W-E-S-T-E-R-W-I-N.com, and go to that connect uh, tab at the top and then find our live stream page. Uh, go down a little bit until you see that video archive, and then you can find that. And you can scroll down and see the last several years of messages more than you could ever listen to. <laughs> but if you go down, I think it was in 2019 that I had this series of sermons and messages on the parables. And you can read some of the or listen to some of those and see just exactly how creative Bill is in trying to come up with a modern day story that is comparable to the first century Palestine story that Jesus told. Um, and that was a fun series for me, and it was a, hopefully it was helpful to some of the folks. But as we think about the parables, it is an earthly story with the heavenly meaning. So we get the heavenly meaning part. That's true of all of the Bible. But what about that earthly story part? How, how does that weigh in? Well, let's talk about that for a moment. First of all, uh, they're, they're modern day stories. Current day stories may be a better way to say that. Because as you read the stories that Jesus tells in the parables and the Gospels, uh, we realize that those were very contemporary for that day and for that place. Uh, they were things that everybody understood, whether it was about money or about agriculture, about planting and reaping. We're going to read some stories about that uh, today. Um, whether it was a, a story about forgiveness, such as the prodigal son, or about unforgiveness, such as the prodigal son, both of those are in that parable. Um, all kinds of things, offering up uh, worship uh, at the altar and kind of letting some distractions get in your way of that. Parables talk about those modern day settings, current day settings, and they're very, very relevant. Um, they're, they're very relevant. They, are, they speak right to where people are. And I think sometimes we don't uh, get that as we read the parables because we're so familiar with them. One of the things I like to try to do when I read the Bible is to put myself in that person's day and time and place and knowledge. And remember that I've heard these stories all my life, but when they first were given, when Jesus first spoke these parables, they were brand new. And people didn't know how the story of the Good Samaritan ends. They didn't even know that the Samaritan was good and didn't believe that. Samaritans were outcasts. And you have the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan, all three involved in the story. And they would never suspect that it was the Samaritan who would turn out to be the hero. And yet it was. And so that's a very relevant thing because the priests and Levites were respected. The Samaritan was not. And that really plays into the power of the story that Jesus tells. They were very practical. They were very concrete. They were about very earthy things. Food, um, uh, plants, uh, money, all of those things are debt. 
all of those things play into the parables of Jesus, and he tells a lot of them. Some are very long, we might say, relatively speaking. Some are just one or two verses, and we'll get both of those uh, today in Matthew 13. Uh, and parables were very simple. I get that the understanding them can be a bit complicated and, and confusing at times, but on the surface, they're very simple stories. When Jesus tells them, they're very, very simple. Easy to understand from that perspective. When you say an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, the earthly story is pretty easy. The heavenly meaning may be a little bit more difficult, but still something that we can do. Um, and they're less confrontational. Jesus was able to teach some very confrontational lessons in a way that wasn't very confrontational. Why? Because he told stories and he used parables to do that. Uh, many times in the parables, Jesus doesn't even make the application. He just tells the story. That goes against some of my training in, in preaching, which is you do the in, in the introduction, you tell them what you're going to tell them, and then you tell them, and then in the conclusion, you tell them what you told them. Well, I think that's true. A lot of times, most of my sermons have points to them, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, but at the same time, for Jesus, they were, they were just stories. Sometimes he didn't do the application at all. And so they were a little bit less confrontational. He could get away with saying some things, I think, in parables uh, that they would try to uh, they would try to crucify him before he was ready, before his time, if it was just straight teaching. And one another thing about Jesus' parables is that they're shocking, and we don't get that sometimes. Again, part of that is because we're so very familiar with them. Part of that is because we're. We live in a bit of a different world here in 21st century America than they did in 1st century Palestine. Uh, again, for example, leaning on that story of the Good Samaritan, um, it's a shocking thing that the Samaritan would be the hero, that the priests and the Levites would be the ones who were not the good neighbor. Remember that story in, um, in Luke 15 is is told uh, in response to a question. Jesus tells the teaching that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and uh, someone nearby listening in says, well, you know, who is my neighbor? In other words, who do I have to love? And Jesus turns that around, doesn't answer that question at all, other than to have the Samaritan in the story and to be the hero. But what he does answer with that story, with that parable, is what is the neighborly loving thing to do? And it's to act like the Samaritan, not like the religious leaders, the priest and the Levite. Uh, for Jesus' hearers in the first century, when they heard that story for the first time, they were shocked. They were shocked. Some of them may have been shocked at the story of the prodigal son. The son, remember in Luke 15, he goes away and he... Um, he uh, 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 gets his early inheritance, and then he goes and he sells it all, and he brings it back, and uh, and he uh, wastes it all, and then he finally comes back home. And what do you know? The father forgives him and welcomes him home. You know, whether you're talking about uh, the prodigal son story in Luke 15 or the good Samaritan story in Luke 10 or all of these that we're looking at in Matthew 13, you realize that sometimes this just doesn't doesn't sound like the way it should be written. 
You know, we would think that when the father sees the son, he comes back and he says, make me as one of your hired servants, even though I'm your son. I don't deserve that. And, you know, there's a part of us in our carnal nature that wants to say, okay, you can be a slave now. <laughs> and you've given up, you forfeited all your rights as a son because of your actions. Well, you, you can make a case that that would be the just thing to do. But grace is the message. Grace doesn't go by what is just. It goes by uh, the grace and mercy of God. And so that son is actually uh, forgiven. Well, that's a, a shocking thing. The The parables are, are very shocking at times and unforgettable. You know, you hear these stories and boy, you remember them. Uh, you may not remember much about Bill's sermons, but you might remember a few points, a few sayings, but when Jesus tells stories like these, you remember them, and, uh, and, and they're somewhat unforgettable, and they're personally challenging. They're personally challenging. And I think a lot of times that depends on how we apply them to ourselves. You know, when we read the stories, the parables in the Gospels, we know the story, and we know who the good guys and the bad guys are, and that wasn't true the first time Jesus told it. First time somebody read Matthew 13 and they read those stories or Luke 10 and they read about that uh, good Samaritan, um, then it's something that we put ourselves in a different place. Uh, in the parable of the prodigal son, for example, from Luke 15, we might say that we're the prodigal son that has come back and has now been forgiven and is faithful but really, Jesus intends to tell that story to us as older sons. In fact, we don't always get hints. And this is another thing about the parables. Jesus, as we're going to see today, Jesus tells a few parables, including two that we'll look at, that, um, that he explains. Uh, but we don't get that a lot. Sometimes we'll get a hint, and we do in the story of the lost son. The beginning of Luke 15, before he tells the story of the lost sheep, and the lost coin, and then the lost sons, um, he talks to those who refuse to believe in him and who refuse to act with mercy on others. And that gives us a little hint as to what Jesus was, where he was going with these stories, including the story of the prodigal son. If we put ourselves on the porch with our arms and legs crossed, mad because Jesus uh, uh, shows forgiveness and mercy to someone that we think doesn't deserve it, well, we are right there beside the prodigal son. And in a sense, sometimes that's where we should see ourselves and get the impact of that lesson. One of the things that Tim Keller has said about parables and about the teaching of Scripture is this, you can't say anything is crooked unless there's a straight edge somewhere. And the parables remind us of that straight edge. And they challenge us in that less confrontational way. But when we really hear what Jesus is saying and we really apply it to ourselves and place ourselves where we should go in the story, um, we realize that there's a straight edge there that my crooked life isn't measuring up to. Uh, Jesus' parables remind us that there is that straight edge and it is the inspired word of God. As we look at the stories of Jesus, um, unlike some of Bill's sermons, most all of Bill's sermons, don't look for several points, but look for the point. One of the things that I ask myself, even though I have uh, three or four points in a sermon, sometimes more, sometimes less, 
Um, one of the questions I ask myself in sermon preparation is, what is the point of this? What point am I trying to get off? Not just uh, points, but point. What is the central message of this uh, lesson? And I think that's the right question for us to ask in looking at the parables of Jesus. What is the point? And not just what is the point, but what is the point for me? What is Jesus trying to tell me in this story? And I think that's the right thing to ask. As you read a parable, what is the point? And also, what is the point for me? We can understand the parables easy, easily enough, uh, but again, sometimes uh, there's no explanation, no hints, and it makes it a little bit tougher. Uh, so it's more challenging to apply them in those cases, but if we do the work and do the praying and do the study and the thinking, I believe that we'll hear uh, the message that Jesus has for us today. Mostly, we don't like the changes the story calls us to make in our own lives. And I think that's part of the power behind the parables. Jesus was calling on people to change the way they lived, change the way they treated others, change the things they valued most of all. And we get that. And we get that in some of these stories that we read about here in Matthew 13. So let's start with Matthew 13. We have some time still, so let's do that. Um, first of all, the parable of the sower, which is the way we know this parable, but it's really not the parable of the sower. The sower is God. We understand that. But it's really the parable of the soils. And as we read this story, we need to ask ourselves, okay, what kind of soil am I? It's really not a call to go out and preach the gospel and, and uh, plant the seed, although there's an application there that we can make, and that's fine. But the ultimate point of the parable is this question, what kind of soil am I? What kind of ground am I? That same day, Matthew 13, verse 1, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, to plant his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Those are the ones that were in the rocky places. Verse 7, other seed, the third kind of ground, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. <laughs> that call for Jesus to listen. Listen to what this is saying. Think about it. Try to apply it. Uh, apply it to yourself. Uh, the disciples in verse 10 ask him, why, why do you speak in parables? And Jesus tells them, well, you know, you guys have an inside track because you're my disciples. Uh, you're my apostles. You're the ones that are closest to me. And then he quotes from Isaiah 6. He'll quote later on from the Psalms to help us understand why Jesus is speaking in ways that some find hard to understand. Um, but then he goes on and he speaks from um, uh, looking at Isaiah 6 and the call of Isaiah. <clears throat> but then he goes on and he gives them the explanation, gives us the explanation, starting in Matthew 13, verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Satan eats it right up before it really has a chance. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Are you the kind of ground that uh, does not allow the word, the seed, uh, to take root? If that's the case, then you may be all gung-ho right now, but as soon as difficulties come, as soon as you have to pay a price for believing in Jesus and seeking to live according to his word, well, you'll give it up because you have no root. Verse 22, the third type of soil, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Uh, we, we don't have balance in our life. We don't, we're not good soil because we are so active and distracted by worldly things and the pursuit of worldly things. Those things are fine in and of themselves, but if they take away from the word of God being firmly implanted in our soul, as scripture says, um, then we've given it up and we are ground that is not good ground, but ground that is uh, among thorns that choke out the good seed and refuse to let it grow. But verse 23, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so we want to say, oh, I'm the good soil. I'm the good soil. And you probably are. You probably are. But I think we need to ask ourselves, well, am I some of those that, for example, are don't give the word a chance to have a good foundation and a good root to where when difficulties come, I, I don't have anything to draw from down deep. Uh, my faith is a shallow faith. I haven't challenged it enough. I haven't studied enough. Um, is it, are we distracted by the world? That's the thorny soil. Or are we the good soil? Um, and of course, the first one as well. Well, that's the parable of the sower and the soils. Uh, and so you ask again, what is the point? And what's the point for me? I think the point is, what kind of soil are you? What kind of ground are you? And where do you find yourself there? Where do you find yourself right now, today? Because I think we go through different uh, times when we're different types of soil. Hopefully you're good soil today. Verse 24, Jesus tells another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. As I understand it, you won't be able to tell the weeds from the wheat for a while until they begin to show. Verse 27, the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, Jesus, he replied, the master replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, verse 29, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. I think that's a key statement. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. 
Well, Matthew 13 continues on, but a little bit later in the chapter, the disciples come to him privately and say, uh, can you explain that one about the weeds and the wheat to us? <laughs> so let's do that, shall we? Starting in verse 36 of Matthew 13. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Verse 37, Jesus answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. So find yourself in that group. If you're trying to follow Jesus, then you're not a harvester. Uh, you're not the seed. You're not even the sower of the seed. You're actually the good soil. You're the good fruit. You're the wheat. The harvesters are angels, not us. Angels. And they don't do their job until the end of the age. Uh, pretty interesting, huh? The seed is the word of God. I think that's significant as well. Okay, verse 40. <clears throat> as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. <clears throat> they will throw them into the blazing furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Well, what's the point? Well, I think the point is we want to be the good fruit. We want to be the wheat, not the weeds. But we also need to understand that weeds are there. Weeds are there. And we may not be able to know which is which for a while. And that's why it's not up to us to do that judging. We want to go like uh, the, some went to the master and said, hey, can we pull everything up? And he said, no, 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 don't do that. You don't know which is which. Let both grow together until the harvest. And then when the Son of Man comes and the harvesters, which are angels, not you, not me, angels, they come and they will separate because God will know. And then the righteous ones will gleam for eternity in the presence of the Son of Man and the Lord God himself. Um, a similar parable is told in Matthew 13, starting in verse 47, the parable of the net. Verse 47, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad fish away. This is how it will be at the end of the age, verse 49. The angels, again, will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, it's at the end of the age when that judgment is made. And it's not by us, it's by the angels at the command of God. The, the ultimate farmer who sows the seed, uh, the ultimate uh, fisherman who catches the fish. Uh, he judges those, the good from the bad. He doesn't, he puts them all in the net at once. And, uh, and then we rely upon God to separate that. I think sometimes we feel like our job is to separate the good fish from the bad fish. And that's just not so. It's just not so. Sometimes we feel like our job is to separate the wheat from the weeds in the earlier parable. 
But that's not so. The point is, let's strive ourselves to be good wheat. Let's strive ourselves to be good fish and leave the rest of it to God to do. Um, I think those are great, great parables. A couple of short ones before we, uh, before we finish the lesson today. And these have to do, I think, all of them with the value of the kingdom and the growth of the church, the kingdom itself. Verse 31 of Matthew 13, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Um, a couple of things, it's talking about the growth of the kingdom and how it spreads and how it spreads. And that's a wonderful thing. Uh, even if it starts small, it spreads and it grows. And this is one of those places where Jesus uses yeast or leaven in a positive way. The fact that the yeast works all through the dough is a good thing. And so we talk about unleavened bread and the leaven of, or yeast of the Pharisees. And yeah, it's used in a, in a different way there. But here, yeast is, yeast is very positive. Uh, it's a good thing. And it demonstrates the growth of the kingdom and how pervasive it is spreading through the whole loaf. Skip down to verse 44, a couple of more. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, the traditional translation, the pearl of great price. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And isn't that what we should do with the kingdom? Isn't that what we should do with the word of God? Realize that it is the most valuable thing that we could ever find. And even if we have to sell everything else to receive it, that's what we should do. Jesus said in Luke 9, he had the same kind of lesson, but taught it more directly, not in a parable. When he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Well, in a sense, that's the same message that Jesus is giving in these parables, that the kingdom of God is worth more than the greatest pearl piece of jewelry than we could ever find. It's greater than the greatest treasure we could ever find. And that's why it's we should give everything up for the sake of the kingdom. That's how Jesus speaks in parables. And so we have to ask ourselves, am I doing that? Am I valuing the kingdom of God and the word and will of God? Am I valuing that above everything else? And as you ask yourself that, you can ask that and answer it to yourself objectively. Again, in the parables, we want to be the good soil, and I think that's good. But are we, at this moment in our lives, are you, are you letting the cares of the world choke the kingdom out and threaten the word of God with all of the distractions in your life, which doesn't make you good soil, it makes you the thorny ground? Do you have good foundation or are you in the rocky places? Uh, are you letting Satan snatch it up before you ever really consider it? Or are you that good soil? Uh, are you one of, the, uh, uh, one of the fruit of the wheat rather than the weeds? Are you letting both grow together 
and trying to do your best to be a good influence and a healthy plant yourself and leaving the judging of which plants are good and which plants are bad up to God, the harvesters, the angels he'll send at the end of the age. And we can trust him to do what's right. We don't have to do that work for him. Do you see the value in the kingdom? The pearl of great price, the treasure that's worth more than everything else combined that's hidden in a field that we would do anything to buy that field so that we could have that treasure. I'm looking forward to reading more parables. We'll see in the in Thursday's lesson about Jesus' miracles, some of the great miracles we're reading about this week that he does, so compassionate, so powerful. And we also uh, get to read uh, about the great blessing that God has and how he shares his love and compassion uh, with all of us. I'm looking forward to Thursday's lesson, and I'm looking forward. I hope that you'll use this lesson on the parables as you read through uh, the Gospels and read those earthly stories with heavenly meaning and find that meaning, find that point, and put it to work in your own life. God bless you, and I'll see you on Thursday.